word just a, in a little while. I, I do want to say it is a privilege to be here. We are uh, uh, privileged people, and I say that uh, because my heart is full of the goodness of the Lord. The Lord has been very good to me. Uh, we're thankful that we have had the opportunity. Uh, we don't uh, usually get a chance to travel too much outside of uh, the Midwest area, and especially with our schedules, uh, to uh, come out and spend enough time I, with my brother, and we do appreciate it. Uh, we are just like your family. We get together and we laugh and we uh, tell stories and we enjoy each other's company. Uh, we uh, insult each other every once in a while. Try not to do it too much, <laughs> but uh, we sure do enjoy it. It's it was uh, a privilege to watch Jonathan. Jonathan's not in here right now, but I will tell you, uh, we're very proud of him. And uh, not just because he graduated, he was the first, actually the second in his family to graduate from Owen Valley. Uh, he, Charles graduated from someone in Illinois. So <laughs> we were teasing him that uh, he was the second in his family to graduate high school. And, uh, but we're thankful for that. And, you know, it's impressive. Jonathan is on the National Honor Society. Now, the Bible talks about giving honor to whom honor is due. Uh, I think that uh, there is a a value, and we need people who will use their brains for Jesus. Amen. Ask someone nearby, were you in the Honor Society? Ask them. Anybody here in the National Honor Society? Wave your hand. Look at that. So when you see Jonathan this morning later on after Sunday school, somebody uh, slap him on the back, someone shake his hand. Uh, there are a couple notable times in a person's life uh, when uh, it's just good to uh, invest in their heart, invest in their life. One of them is when they graduate high school. I think it's a very uh, significant moment. And uh, the other time is when they get married, obviously. Uh, second most important decision you ever make in your life, first being serving the Lord. So it's an honor to be here with him, and we rejoice uh, with him. We know that he is in a course of study. Uh, I don't know. He'd make a great conservation officer. I agree with that. I don't know about Border Patrol, brother, but <laughs> but uh, he's got a great mind. He's looking also at the engineering program. Uh, his score great. He and his sister both have done very, very well. So we, we give honor. I give honor to my brother. Uh, I got a testimony. Uh, I posted yesterday a picture of my brother uh, on the uh, Internet with the, my uh, nephew, and I we received a contact from a young man who... Uh, uh, I think it was probably 1986 when uh, Charles was working with him uh, at a laundry. It was a hot, miserable place, no air conditioning, and uh, he worked hard. It was just about the, a couple of years before he, he met Mana, and uh, they were working hard, and this young man was lost as lost can be, uh, but Charles witnessed to him daily, and uh, later on that young man was baptized in Jesus' name. He got uh, filled with the Holy Ghost. And so when he saw Charles's picture uh, on the Internet, he hadn't talked to him since 1986 uh, because of, he moved to Florida. He saw his picture, and he's connected with me. And so he, uh, he wanted to make sure that he knew that he had, been, he had changed his life with his testimony. Amen. And I'm thankful for people who are willing not just to go through the course in the order of, of life, but they're willing to connect to their neighbor and uh, win a soul. Amen. How many have ever won a soul? Why don't you wave your hand? You want a soul. See, I, I think that God has made the church not just to be a place. Can I talk? Can I, is it all right? I, I'm, I'm going to get to the Scripture, and I've got plenty to say this morning. So, uh, But uh, I will tell you that uh, it's a privilege to be involved in other people's lives. God has given you opportunity and me opportunity, and I will tell you there are people that God has brought your way that you're the only one that uh, is ever going to connect to them. And if you don't do it, they're going to be lost and go to hell. And so it's important for you and I to make that connection. Somebody say amen. 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 I, I, I'm thankful for somebody who was willing. I, I come from uh, a situation where we were, my mom and dad are not in the church, uh, although I had a grandpa uh, that had Pentecostal leanings and uh, I found out later on uh, was involved in a lot of different things that were good. But uh, they used to come by his doorstep back at the turn in the early 40s and knock on his door and ask him to pray for uh, different folk. And he'd go out and pray for them and had tremendous miracles and uh, wonders and excellent things that were told of, of him in the community. But I will tell you that uh, my dad, uh, five years old, lost his father. 
And so it was that he grew, he raised his family, and not in, in truth, in any kind of uh, spiritual experience. But when I was 12 years old, somebody took an interest in my life, and I'm here because of that. And so I will tell you that the gospel not only works, but the gospel is an opportunity for us to reach out to somebody. Amen. Amen. Now, you'll find uh, one thing about me, and uh, as we have a little bit of conversation this morning, is I do enjoy, and I want to make sure that I'm touching base with you. So if you feel like uh, saying amen, I want you to feel like saying amen and uh, joining in what we're doing here this morning. Uh, would you stand with me? We're going to look at the Word of the Lord together. And uh, I'm thankful for double honor. How about another hand clap? Amen. <laughs> Praise God. And I will tell you, not only is it a personal uh, admiration on my part for being here today, uh, but I also want to say thank you to the church, the greatness of this church. Uh, the true greatness of, of nations uh, starts and constitutes with greatness of individuals. And greatnesses of churches uh, start with the individuals. Uh, McCormick Creek Church is going to be a church that is going to be notable not because of, of just your pastor whose name is on the board outside of the church, but it's going to be notable because of who you are and your character and your nature. You're going to make the difference that, uh, that, that speaks to your uh, church. The greatness of a church lies in individual people, and this is truly a great church. If you're a visitor here this morning or you haven't been coming here very long, I tell you, you're connecting with a great group of people. These are wonderful, wonderful people. Amen. And if you believe that, look over your neighbor and say, he's talking the truth right now. Amen. You've got a great church family. If uh, I'd also say, and I know that you're standing, so I will not, uh, I will not keep you standing. Now we'll turn to Genesis chapter 29. And verse 16, Genesis chapter 29 and verse 16. Um, we just had the, the privilege of having Brother Adam Hill with us uh, this spring. And you have uh, a, a great leader in that young man. And Brother Hill, I know you're here. here. There you are. Uh, he is a tremendous, tremendous young man. I don't say that just because he's from Illinois or just because he's a good preacher. I say that because there is an anointing on his life. How many sense that anointing in his life? Amen. Amen. That's there, and you can see it. And God's hand is upon him. And uh, I, I know that in Nazareth, sometimes uh, we, we quote the Scripture that, that God, Jesus couldn't do many mighty works there because of the unbelief of the people that, that knew him. But I think in our own family, our church family, if anybody ought to appreciate somebody, it ought to be their church family. Amen. I, I think it's somebody with this young man that, was, uh, that received that national award. Somebody ought to pat him on the back. Amen. I think it's fitting your pastor uh, put that. I think that ought to be a little button in your, in your coat collar because uh, uh, someone from your church has had that particular blessing. Genesis chapter 29. I do know the time you do get out. I promise uh, your pastor said it's usually 12.30, 1 o'clock. And uh, I will abide by his, uh, his, uh, his decision. So uh, Genesis chapter 29, verse 16. And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah. And the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed. But Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee than I should give her to another man. So abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed unto him but a few days. And the Bible gives us an indication why that was such a brief experience. Some of you, you have felt, uh, seems like time stood still. When you've listened to too long of a preacher or too long of a speech or too long of an experience at work, you said, I can't uh, hardly stand a minute longer. But this man actually says served seven hard years. And the Bible tells us the reason for the love that he had for her. Let me share something with you that uh, simply is an important concept and idea. 
And that is, is that God gives us Rachel's. Is there anyone here named Rachel? All right. All right, I want to make sure of that before I created a problem. <laughs> uh, I would like to define this uh, thought this morning is, is that I have a Rachel. I have a Rachel. Would you look over your neighbor? Now, you've already said a couple of things to them, so by now they actually like you. Why don't you go over and say, I have a Rachel. I have a Rachel. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for being here at Sunday morning. Sunday morning is always a blessing to be in fellowship with brothers and sisters. And uh, when you are together with the people of God, they always make you a little bit better. And that's why you can't get this kind of experience at home. You sit at home, you're going to miss out. You miss a little bit in the house of God, you miss a lot. And I think it's important that we make not only just Sunday morning, and I know you're already here listening, so this is for the folk that uh, maybe aren't listening or not here this morning, but you miss the house of God, you miss a lot. Amen? I said amen. Amen. God expects you to be in your seat. Now, some of you got a parking spot. You know exactly where you park. Hello, and you know where you sit. <laughs> Amen. And you're not in your seat. That's how uh, it, God expects you to be there. And uh, it's an important responsibility. And I will show you that when you get to the house of God, they help you make you a better person. Sometimes when you come to Sunday school, it helps you with your theology. <laughs> For example, in uh, uh, one Sunday morning, we had a young man who uh, uh, proceeded to tell his Sunday school teacher that God was dead. And his Sunday school teacher, being a good apostolic, said to him, No, 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 God is not dead. God's alive. And Jordan said, No, I believe that God is dead. And so after three times of trying to change his mind, uh, she finally said, Jordan, why do you think God is dead? And she simply said, Well, he, he said, uh, he said, I tell you, every time somebody says that they die, they go to heaven. He said, Yes. She says, well, God's up in heaven, right? And he said, yes. And she said, yes. He said, well, then I think God's dead because he went to heaven. You see, you learn theology from children. Sometimes they don't always get it right. For example, one young man uh, was listening to the story of, of how uh, 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 it was uh, Lot's wife who turned to a pillar of salt. And uh, her, the bright students said, lifted up their hands, wanted to communicate to the Sunday school teacher. Said, what happened? She said, well, uh, my mother was, uh, uh, was watching. She looked back while she was driving, and she turned into a telephone pole. <laughs> so you, you just never know what you're going to learn in Sunday school. Uh, two young brothers were fussing, and they were trying to figure out what exactly, uh, trying to come to agreement. They were fighting for that last piece of pie. And one of them said, uh, uh, after the mom said, now, boys, you get into agreement. So, mom, we do agree. We just both want the biggest piece. And so sometimes when you get to the house of God and you, uh, you, uh, you want to learn something, you may not always be in agreement with everything, but how many want the biggest piece this morning? How many would like God to speak to their heart? God to touch them. God to get a hold of them and let His hand touch you. You see, this morning, I want to talk to you about a man named Jacob. Jacob had found himself in Haran and outside of his homeland. And he was a man who eventually would marry Leah and Rachel. It's at this life point that he finds himself in crisis. He's, uh, he's got a mixed bag of emotion going on. Esau had desired to kill him, and so he was running for his life, and God had given him a promise. And we know that one of the strings of the Scriptures teach the promise that was given unto Jacob, uh, that simply that uh, there would be, that God would, would give him children as the sand of the seashore, as the, as the stars in the sky. And yet he felt at this particular moment that his future was vastly uncertain. I will share with you that there are moments when God's hand and anointing are upon our life, but at the same time, we can feel like that somehow the future is uncertain. We can experience at that moment not sure how it's all going to work out. And there are times and moments when we have, as men and women, have defining moments. 
When we simply look at some point and we're not sure how everything is going to work itself out. How many know that God does want to bless your life? How many know that God does fill and speak into your life promise and blessing and strength? And if you hold on to God, God's going to bless you and keep you. But there are times when this, this thing between our ears don't always have it right figured out. And we're not real sure of what, what was going to happen. And so God changed it all by an opportunity at his uncle's house. And so it was an opportunity that, that uh, he began to see as an important opportunity, a chance for him to work. He didn't have any money. He didn't have any resources. And so his uncle said, you get to set your own wages. You get to write your own paycheck. Kind of that American dream of, of an entrepreneur. He simply had an opportunity. How many like to walk into your place of work on Monday and simply said, today I'd like to let you know I'm giving myself a raise. Wouldn't that be something? You look the boss man in the eye and say, I want to set my own wages. And he said, well, you're going to, you know, he may say all kinds of things. But I will tell you that that's what the opportunity had. And so I would share with you that, that he had a desire to set a wage for a Rachel. The wages that he was going to pay would be the, the dowry. That would be the, the, the given to her father. And so the value would be in sweat equity. And so he, was, he had fallen in love with Rachel. He had, she had become his longing, his one bright spot in the dismal gray pattern and clouded picture that was around him. She fascinated him. He, she, she, when he looked at her smile, the dancing love that was in her eyes, the way she walked, the way she talked, he hung on her words and, and began to enjoy so much. Even her laughter, the way her hair fell across her shoulders, her, her willingness to be dutiful. And like a revelation, it hit him. He said, I, if I can get anything in this life, I'd like to have Rachel. Now, I, I share with you that dreams are an amazing thing. Uh, you can, you can uh, call something a dream. Uh, sometimes I have met with people and talked with individuals along the line. They said, this is a dream of mine. Now, that couldn't be good or bad. How many have ever had a bad dream? <laughs> and uh, sometimes we set our hearts on the wrong thing. But this wasn't a wrong thing. It was something that God could put in His life in a very wonderful way. Just when you think you're at the bottom of the of the ladder and there's no way that the future looks uncertain, God brings in something beautiful in your life. How many have ever found God bringing something wonderful at a time when you're having all kinds of struggle? Amen. But God's good to us. Uh, he brings us something to smile about, something to laugh about, something to give us joy, something to provide strength to us. That's what Rachel was. And I begin to think that in the Scriptures that even it was Rachel who said to herself that if Jacob would come and work for, uh, for her, that simply would be a great blessing to her life. God has a chance to work in your life if you allow Him to and me to allow Him to. You see, I point to a very important idea and a very important concept this morning. As you're sitting in the house of God, God's got a plan for your life for every season. Whether you're just starting out and you're a young person or a young married, or you are in a senior season of your life, I want you to remember a very important principle. And that is that God wants to work on your behalf. God wants to do something for you. God wants to open some doors for your life. And if you give God the opportunity, you can get a revelation about something good that God wants to put in your life. You can fall in love with an idea that yesterday or a week ago or a month ago you had no clue. How many can honestly say that God has brought Rachel's into your life? 
Some of us haven't seen exactly what that has happened. I, I can tell you there are ministries that I would have never said that I would do or, or never been a part of or experiences that I would have said I'd never, uh, it wasn't in my list of to-do items. But God brought it into my life and now I wouldn't, re- I wouldn't give it away for anything because God brings Rachel's into our life. God brings experiences into our life that become a, a experience of blessing and, and richness and power. So just when you think your, your future is uncertain, God brings something wonderful. I share with you a, a, another part, part, and that is, is that God is in the business of giving us dreams. But dreams aren't just simply those crazy things you have after you have something uh, happy eat uh, that is, causes you to have weird things in your brain. I believe that God's dreams come through the multitude of business. You get working for God, and God gives you a dream. There was a point that in 1986 in this congregation, when uh, there was the leadership of, of uh, Brother Balt, we, we uh, finally remember Brother Balt, and this church was on the map and preaching the gospel, and, and the light of truth was in this city. But God had a plan for, for this church and this assembly. Brother Robertson uh, was elected pastor. And uh, many of you can tell the story, and, and you're part of that, of that story. But I share with you, there had to be a dream inside of him. Now, I know he's a little uncomfortable at this moment, but it's going to be all right, Brother Robertson. I'll get off you in just a second. But here's the point. The point is, is that God gives us revelation and dreams. And when He gives a dream, it's a dream that's going to benefit not only yourself, but it's to touch many, many lives. It's to touch hearts and open up a kingdom. God wants to do something. He can take people from all kinds of places. Amen. I wish someone would understand what I'm talking about. God wants to give you something in the season of your life that can change things in the world you're living in, but in the world around you as well. Rachel's come from getting busy doing something for God. And God gives a dream. And so somebody saw a building. Somebody saw an expansion. Somebody saw a church. The future was wrapped up in the hope that maybe that he would get in Israel. Uh, Rachel. Jacob could have had personal lustful goals. He could have said, I want to, to uh, amass cattle. I want to get riches. I want to get garments. But he chose, rather, a love. What's the Rachel that is in your life? Has God put a dream inside of you? Maybe there's somebody here sitting this morning who said, You know what, Pastor Davis, you spoke of of reaching the lost. I'd love to reach a lost sinner. I'd love to have somebody sitting next to me that I taught a Bible study to where I, I witnessed to them and I saw them get the Holy Ghost and I saw them go down in the water. You see, there may be somebody in here who is a saint of God who simply says, you know what, I'd like to be like Jesus. I, I want to make heaven my home. I want, to, I want to see the Holy Ghost minister in the lives of other people at my workplace or in my family. How many have got an unsaved child or an unsaved neighbor or an unsaved co-worker? And you say, I want God to do something in their life. And so God gives you a dream. But it's a dream that only comes to pass by work. Now, does work still preach in, in the apostolic church today? Do you realize some dreams will never happen until you work for it? Until you crack the sweat that writes down, runs down your forehead and you, and you put some labor and some backbone into it, it's never going to happen. Some of us have got a welfare mentality when it comes to the kingdom of God. We want somebody to hand it to us on a platter. We want somebody, God, to, 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 to make the dream happen without any work on our own. But work uh, is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. You work for God, and God's going to do something good for you. He's going to open up doors. He's going to make your dreams come possible. I think every office, every position of leadership needs to have Rachel's. I think you ought to have a desire or longing, not just a a want, but a need. It was a need of a desire that came into fruition. He was willing to pay wages uh, for his Rachel. 
evangelism uh, is a is a great topic. And some of you uh, simply said, I think Brother Charles said it earlier, uh, talk is cheap. There are a lot of people who talk a good talk, uh, but they're just a lot of wind, uh, and they're just simply not necessarily, amen, uh, willing to work for it. If there is a dream in your life, are you willing to work for it? Otherwise, you're just pretending. You want to raise a Christian family? Then you've got to work at it. If you want to have a Sunday school class where everybody in this class gets the Holy Ghost, you've got to work at it. If you want a church that's full, you've got to work at it. Every, every part, and I, I hope I'm not out of order when I say this, uh, amen, if you're part of a ministry and you don't got a Rachel, you need to have the, uh, a visit to an altar somewhere. Uh, and you need to let God birth inside of you uh, a vision and a desire. Uh, amen. We're not looking for church as usual. We're looking for a church that God wants it to be. You know, the measure of success is not where you're at. The measure of success is are you at compared to where God wants you to be. Uh, you may say, well, I'm a success. Uh, I've got my kids in church. But maybe God wants your neighbor in church uh, and wants your boss in church. Uh, and He wants you to reach out. Uh, Jacob's secret was, if you're willing to work for it, you can see extraordinary things happen in your life. Rachel was beautiful. He could have longingly gazed at her for days on end and years on end. But he was willing to invest something. I worked for a man that when he was in college, he was a college student, and he had spent three and a half years in college. And uh, he wanted to have a, a, make a living. And so he had a motorcycle. He went out and sold his motorcycle. And uh, when he sold the motorcycle, he put, used the money for a down payment on a gas station. He didn't have any employees. He simply worked the gas station himself. It was a time when they still pumped your gas. And so he pumped the gas. He uh, checked the oil. And uh, he sold the belts. And he just kind of uh, maintained that for several years. Uh, eventually, he sold the gas station and bought some houses and bought some rental houses. Uh, and from there, he, uh, he had gone on to some other things. Today, he has over uh, a thousand apartments. He uh, has a car and a land leasing operation. Uh, he's got uh, uh, a multitude of, of uh, rental units and commercial units. Uh, and uh, on an annual basis, uh, has uh, over 92 million dollars worth of assets. Some of you say, well, it would be nice to be rich. But the truth of the matter is, the only way he got that was he worked at it. He had to put a motorcycle up for sale. And see, the, the thing that Jacob understood is that if you're going to get something for your Rachel, you've got to put something into it. Uh, you only get some, what you get out of something is what you've invested into it. Uh, and some of you, you've come to church, uh, amen, and you say, well, I'm sitting here and you feed me. That's the mentality of your generation. But I'm telling you, you're only going to get out of the house of God what you put into it. Uh, some of you invest life and livelihood. That's why it's important to you. Uh, the reason why, hello, the reason why some people, the house of God, it's not important. They've not invested very much. It hasn't cost them very much. But you've got to be willing to pay something. There are so many times that people used to pray, God help us. Now it's government help us. Amen. Jesus showed us that there's nothing wrong with hard work. How many know what Jesus did before he started making loaves and fishes and feeding 5,000? He was a carpenter. He's a carpenter's son. He worked. There's nothing wrong with work. What happened to Moses before he became the leader of Israel? He was a shepherd. He literally pushed sheep around from pasture to pasture. What did David do before he became king? He took care of other people's uh, sheep and tended to them. What was Gideon doing when God called him to do a work? Threshing wheat. What was Peter doing when God called him? He was, he was a fishing. You see, there's always a connection between those who are willing to work hard and those who are willing to have Rachel's. And God is willing to give Rachel's to those who are willing to work hard. And I can tell you that in a year from now, or five years from now, or ten years from now, who's to know where this church is going to be? 
And it's going to depend on how much of a vision you have and how much you're willing to work. Uh, listen, uh, is, I, I, I'm going to share something with you. Amen. That the Lord spoke to me about this issue. And that is very simply. This church's future is going to be dependent upon, not necessarily where uh, a certain individuals, but how much this congregation as a body are willing to work for souls. Uh, are you willing to reach out to your world? Uh, Bloomington isn't saved yet. Uh, Spencer isn't saved yet. Uh, there are a lot of people that are lost who need Jesus. Uh, amen. And I'm telling you, God's willing to give you that if you're willing to work for it. Uh, anybody here willing to say, I'll give to God. Oh, some of you are starting to understand what I'm talking about. You see, there are three things that I would point out to you. One of them is the parable of the workers. Jesus did pay the workers a reward for their work. In Matthew 20, chapter verse 1, he made this statement. Is it not lawful for me, speaking of the landlord, to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil? Because I am good. So the last shall be first, and the first last. For many be called, but few chosen. We have heard that uh, story preached of the parable of the workers, and we forget this idea. And it's simply God wants to pay whoever He wants to pay. And He's willing to pay in blessing what He wants to reward them with. I'm sure to tell you this this morning. If you'll give God just a little, it doesn't matter whether He saves by a little or a lot. So why not ask God for a lot? Why not ask God for some Rachels? Huh? Why not ask God for a move of God? Why can't in this particular locality, amen, you're not done building. You're not done finishing what God's got for you. Huh? There is future expansion, amen, for not only this church, huh, but for the kingdom of of God. We are living in incredible times. God is doing incredible things. I spoke to a man just the other day, called into a hospital. Somebody was involved in a tragic accident. And he, the pastor, went, this friend of mine, went to the hospital, walked into the room, and uh, assured the family they would pray. The doctor was standing there at the time. He said, and they said that he doesn't have sight in his eyes. And so he was involved in an accident. And so he said, well, we'll just pray. I believe God's going to restore his sight. Now, he said that, the pastor said that, my friend said that before he really knew what was the total story. And he noticed the doctor's eyes darting back and forth. And uh, he, he thought, well, maybe I've misspoken here, but I believe that God, God's going to heal his eyes and let him see. And so the, the, the doctor leaned over and said, Pastor, hold on. You don't know the whole story. Didn't, kind of out of the sight of the, of the, of the, of the one of the family and, and trying to make him just a little uh, hold back a little bit. He said, well, we're going to pray. We're going to pray that God gives him his sight back. And they began to pray. And all of a sudden that boy started blinking his eyes. And he recognized his mother. He recognized the pastor. And he came to. Somebody said, praise the Lord. I want to tell you what the greatest this of that story was. Not just the fact that the boy came to, but, but the doctor was shocked because he had just finished telling the family the boy will never see again because his eyeball was gone out of his socket. In the accident, he lost his eye. There was nothing in there but an empty socket. But it was a prayer, amen, and then a place of faith uh, that laid its hands on that man. Uh, and when they prayed for him, God not only gave him sight, He gave him the eyeball to see with. Uh, I'm telling you, we are living in incredible times. Uh, we're living in times where God wants to do some amazing things. But it takes something. I'm willing to work for it. I'm willing to believe for it. I know God can do some incredible things. Oh, somebody, come on, stand to your feet for a moment. Come on, rejoice for a moment. What God wants to do with you. You may have seen it for a second. Let me tell you something. God has a principle of reward. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10 so says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward His name, in that you have ministered to the saints and to minister. The reward of God is simply to do what He has. 
Listen, there is nothing stopping you from opening up your wallet and taking out that $100 bill and slapping it in the offering. Because it's your money. You can write the check out, $1,000 to put on the church mortgage this morning. It's your money. You can do with it what you want. And if the person next to you says, well, I don't think you should give that much. You say, it's none of your business what I do. It's my business between me and God. You have that power. And God said, you know what kind of power I have? I have power to reward the worker. And I can reward with one penny for one hour's work, or I can reward with one penny for the whole day's work. I'm saying to you this morning, if you get a Rachel, you get a desire, you get a longing, there's no telling what God can do with this church. It's a principle of reward. God can do what He wants to. I'll give you another principle that's from the Scripture. That's how I know this is true when I'm preaching to you this morning. And that's the principle of the harvest found in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. It says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Now that's easy for us to believe. We believe if we live in sin and do sinful things, we get what we deserve. If we make our bed in hell, we get what we deserve. But here's what the Bible is teaching us. And that's the other side of the principle. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. I share with you this morning, if you will sow to spiritual things uh, and you make your home a place uh, where you can raise it for the godly and raise up godly seed uh, and you become a, a, out reaching out to your community, you're going to find that they're going to respond because when you sow righteously, you're going to reap righteously. Well, some of you don't get that yet, but I'm going to help you, help, help you get there. How many understand simply that when you put corn seed in the ground, you don't expect the soybean to show up? How many know that when you put radish seeds in the ground, you expect radishes to show up? Some of you put tomato plants huh, every spring, and, and then you, I don't know why you do something so terrible, but you put tomato plants. I don't like tomatoes. I don't mind them in soup or in sandwich, but... I can't eat a raw tomato. That's just something against my nature. But you see, you expect the tomato plant to be there. And you expect apples on the tomato plant. No, you don't. You expect tomatoes on the tomato plant. You know what I expect? When people pray and worship and love God and share the truth with their neighbor, the church is going to grow. The church is going to see revival. The church is going to experience some things. The church is going to find maturation or growth. People are going to get closer to God. And you're going to have revival. I remember when Brother Mitchell in Illinois, his pastor, he's now gone on to be with the Lord. And they asked him to take the church in. Moline, Brother Mitchell's got another brother who pastors in southern Illinois, used to. He's now since retired. And when they went to Moline, Brother Mitchell had a group of about 30 people. Now, that's not a very large group overall, but it was a group to start with. And so he started to share the gospel with them and those around. Brother Mitchell was a worker. Anybody ever knew Brother Mitchell? He was a hard hard worker. He didn't uh, speak English real well. He, he broke uh, English rules. His vernacular was certainly out of the ordinary. And uh, he, he misconjugated his verbs. He mixed them up and used the wrong tense. And uh, he, uh, to some, he appeared not to be too intelligent because he was kind of a country bumpkin to some. But he was a hard worker. And everywhere Brother Mitchell went, he did things for the kingdom. And uh, just, uh, it was about two years ago, three, four, excuse me, uh, about four years ago, uh, when he passed, he had passed on that leadership on. And uh, another pastor began to reign. But they had a, uh, a church, it was called Whole Truth tabernacle on seven acres and he had built a 15,000 square foot building that had uh, literally uh, they had knocked every week on 2,000 doors a week now you think about that now if you if, if this church would knock on 2,000 doors a week do you think we'd get results how many think you'd get results well, this half doesn't believe. Half doesn't have much faith. I almost tried on this side. 
Let's see if this is anything better over here. Maybe this is where the faith lies. If this church knocked on 2,000 doors a week, how many think we'd get results? All right, now you've got to help them over there. You look over that side. I'm going to give them another chance. Now, how many over here believe if we knocked on 2,000 doors a week, we'd get some results? There we go. There's some people who believe. You see, the problem is that, that he was willing to invest himself. The church went from 35, and before it was all said and done, it was over 1,000. And, and this last Sunday, or excuse me, Easter Sunday, they actually had almost 16,000 people in church. I'm telling you, because a church decided they were going to work. A church decided they were going to labor. Some uh, preachers decided, I'm not just interested in getting a title and holding a position. I'm interested in sweating. I'm interested in knocking on doors. I'm interested in investing myself. So God gives Rachel's, and God rewards work. I don't know what the future of this church uh, totally is, but I do know this. I can project into the future because I know God is good, and God wants to bless His people. How many know God wants to bless this assembly? Amen. There's a special anointing. I don't say this everywhere I go, but I will tell you there's a special anointing that rests upon this assembly. And we can't take it for granted. Amen? Amen. You see, there are a lot of people who get a bum deal because that's what Jacob got when he woke up one morning and found out it was Leah, not Rachel. You see, he invested those that time, that energy. I'm sure that inside of him the night before uh, he was to wed his Rachel, he couldn't sleep. He, his stomach was doing flip-flops. And he was just waiting, couldn't wait for that opportunity that had been his dream come true, only to wake up and see Leah. The problem is, is that Leah typifies where some people are today in the church currently. Now, you can believe what you want about uh, the book of Revelation, but I tell you, uh, my personal belief, and this is what I, I, I really feel like, is those seven churches are spirits and they're types of actual churches that exist. Now, some people teach them as, as one concurrently historical uh, item after another, and I understand that teaching because uh, I understand the whole dispensational idea. But uh, I do believe very firmly that they also represent current and active and live churches. There are churches that are Laodicean spirit. There are churches that are, are Philadelphia in spirit and, 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 their, and in their activity. But beyond that, there are churches that are Leah churches. They're tender-eyed and, and they're not necessarily the best. And people can get to the point where they're satisfied with a Leah experience. Jacob was tricked. How many believe that was a rotten trick? How I many of you like to wake up and figure, find out that, that wasn't what, the one you pledged to wasn't the one that showed up the next morning? That creates some problems, wouldn't it? And she wasn't the best-looking thing around. But you see, there are some people who are satisfied with Leah's. And they learned to live with Leah. Leah was pretty profitable and fruitful because he, she had a number of children with Leah. But there are Leah leaders and Leah churches. Leah churches where nobody ever gets baptized in Jesus' name. There's no beauty to it. Listen, this isn't about how pretty our building is. This is about how many people go down in Jesus' name and how many are filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and how many lives are turned upside down. You can be satisfied and get to a plateau where you just stay or you can excel above and beyond where you're at. In DeKalb, I can share with you, we've had our days of plateau. We've had our days where it's simply we worked like, a, a, like everything just to get a, a few folk out. But I'm here to tell you, if you stay working, God blesses you. If you stay laboring, God blesses you. If you still keep investing, God blesses you. Or you get satisfied. There are places where there's no vision. They're satisfied with the status quo. They know that the church is on empty and they're willing to live that way. They park their cars in the parking lot at 10 o'clock and they're looking at their watches at 10.30 or 11 o'clock whenever they're supposed to get out. And simply they're satisfied. And there are Leah Christians 
who find no joy in living for Jesus. The devil's always beating them down. God, the life gave them a bitter blow, and they swallow that bitter pill, and they live their life with their bitterness. I'm here to tell you, you don't need to live with your Leah. You don't need to live with your bitterness. You need to put your bitterness on an altar and let the blood cover it. And you need to figure out the joy of living for God, the joy of being a child of God, the joy of, of seeing God do incredible things. You see, there's a, a, a third principle, or a fourth principle, rather. And that is the principle of perseverance. Perseverance. Say that word to your neighbor. You know the problem with our society? we got a lot of people that are good starters, but they're terrible finishers. How many have got a project at home that you mean to get to one of these days? The unknitted scarf. <laughs> the half-built uh, cabinet. <laughs> Some of you are looking over your husband. Now, you just look straight ahead, man. We'll get you out of this somehow. But, but you see, we, we all like sometimes we're good starters, but we're not good finishers. You know what age we're living in? We're in the age of the finisher. The finish line is not too far away. This is not the time to give up on the project. This is the time to push on through. This is the time to persevere on through. If you'll persevere through what you're going through, you're going to find there's a victory on the other side. Amen. God will bless you and reward you for your work. I, I can share with you that churches have discovered this principle. Job chapter uh, 14, verse 19. It's the water that wears the stone. Uh, simply, you can, you can look around and see some beautiful examples like the Grand Canyon. How did the Grand Canyon get there? How many have ever seen the Grand Canyon? Man, no wonder why nobody's got a burden for out west. They're all from around here. <laughs> uh, you ought to take a, a trip out, but not all on the same Sunday, please. <laughs> and see the Grand Canyon. You see, there are things that are just gorgeous and beautiful. But when you look down, it's a mile deep. And how did it get there? The Colorado River waged its way down and cut into that stone. Uh, and, and it's a beautiful display. Uh, it's simply, it's gorgeous. But it was simply water that cut away stone. And there are things that look like they're walls in your life. There are things that look like they're impossible. You say, well, I just got stuck with Leah. But I'm telling you, you don't have to just simply live with your Leah. There can be something that can happen to your life that will forever change you. And you can persevere through that trouble and see God do something wonderful. You see, if you go to the Redwood Forest in California, there are trees big enough to drive a car through. It's simply, how did a tree get that big? Year after year, there was a little bit more growth. Year after year, there was just a little bit more growth. If you're in the same spot you were two years ago, you need to grow up in God. You see, if you're still sucking on the same bottle two years after you got in the church, you need to have some... Uh, it's all right. I'm, I'm, I hope I'm not offending anybody. But you know what? Either sometimes you cause a, a riot or sometimes you can have revival. But the truth is is that there, there needs to be spiritual maturity. Look over your neighbors. Are you growing up or growing down? You know, some people are going backwards. They're acting more like children than they're grown adults. And, and I share with you that there is a principle that God wants you to year by year grow and, and see things begin to happen. How many believe that this church still can plant some more churches? You, still got, you, think, you really think that you can have some preachers come out of this church even now? Well, the pastor seems to think so. What about the church? Do you think there are still some ministries that haven't been born yet? I mean, it'd be a fitting thing for some of you to go out and buy a van and, and fill it up. Some of us come to church with an empty car. The, the point I'm making is not to make you mad, but really, what I'm trying to tell you is that simply, there's got to be an expansion in our thought process 
There's got to be an expansion in our desires. There's got to be a longing. We're living in an hour when the church is not to sit back and expect nothing. We need to expect more than ever before. We need to believe God for more than ever before. Uh, it wouldn't be out of the will of God for some pastor in this local denominational town to be witnessed to and his whole congregation get baptized in Jesus' name. I'm telling you that there are ministries that this church hasn't even begun to yet work in. But I will tell you that if you'll be willing to work, the reason why some people triumph is they put the oomph in the try. And, and we need to put some oomph in our try. Too many times we just let the status quo be the status quo. Thomas Edison, for seven months, 18 hours per day, he simply worked on an invention until finally... He heard a, 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 something in this area of sound. We think of, of Thomas Edison with a light bulb. Many of his inventions were, were, were revolutionary to his, his era. It was uh, Gibbon who spent 26 years writing a book. Perhaps you've heard of it. The Rise and the Fall of the Roman Empire. It was Webster. You know how Webster's first dictionary got written? 36 years he worked at it. Plato wrote the Republic. And we all, uh, maybe in college, some of you may have read the Republic or heard about the Republic. But that book was rewritten 16 times. He wasn't satisfied until it was done. And some of us are satisfied with Leah. But God says, don't you ever get satisfied with Leah. You need to push yourself until you get the burden. Uh, amen. If you've lost the burden, keep pushing. It'll come back. Uh, I had a man giving up teaching on Sunday school. He said to me, Pastor, I just don't have a burden anymore. And I agreed with him in the sense that if you don't have burden, there's uh, certainly a lot of struggle. And you can have all kinds of problems. But you know what happened? I asked him a question. So who's going to teach that class? If you don't teach it, we don't got another teacher. What are you going to do with those kids? You want to just let them be lost? And, and as we began to talk about that issue... He began to realize that his life did have impact on people. You might be surprised whose life you're touching. Uh, simply, it was Beethoven who rewrote the lines of a symphony 16 times. Da Vinci painted the Last Supper. It took him 10 years to do it. And now people stand and, they, and observe it and say, what a wonderful painting. You see, a work of art takes time. So some of us need to keep working on the art that God has put in our life. Some of us need to keep working on the labor that God's called us to do. Don't you give up on that Bible study. Don't you give up on that person you've been witnessing to. Don't you give up on that husband that you've been telling that you need to get in the church. I can tell you some stories. I can tell you of a woman who was 80-some years old. We baptized her in Jesus' name. And God filled her and touched her life in a powerful way. But for 80 years, she didn't, nothing, she didn't have anything to do with the apostolic church. But somebody worked on her for 16 years trying to get her, even to understand the revelation of the baptism of, the, of Jesus' name and the mighty God in Christ. I share with you that there are many different examples. Amen. Uh, Jacob's labor. The reason why he kept working is found in verse 20. And Jacob... Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. A beautiful love story, isn't it? Up in heaven one day, there's going to be a beautiful love story about your life. You know your neighborhood has kids in it that need Jesus. This last month, I got a Bible quiz team. I worked with Junior Bible Quiz in Illinois, the coordinator. And uh, there was a little girl who used to, neighbor girl, and uh, she'd come over with the other nine years old, eight years old. Kids were memorizing over 200 scriptures. And so she was in the list of quote. So she started quoting them with her, her neighbor friends. And pretty soon she knew some of the exact same scriptures they did. And so... This uh, young lady uh, with these two small children, she didn't have a lot of people to witness to, but she had her children in this neighborhood lady she was talking to. 
and this child. So she went to the mother and said, you know what? Your daughter's memorized some of the Bible scriptures. I'd love for her to join our Bible quiz team. So she did. And just this last month, that little girl received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. She's memorized almost 200 scriptures. You see, I believe that somewhere inside of us, we need to have a desire. And it comes through open doors because you get busy. We're in nine facilities, and that's not much. I many people are many others, outside of our regular church services. And I'll tell you how it happened. Our youth group one time, they felt our youth leader was one of these guys that uh, just simply thought you ought to entertain kids. He thought that children ought to have the spiritual side, the fun side, but they ought to have a service aspect. So as a service, he called one of the uh, local uh, independent uh, living centers and said, you know, we've got some young people. Uh, we, I need to get them some experience uh, in, in church services. Would you mind if they came in and just had church with you? And the director said, oh, no, no problem at all. Come on, bring them. And so they came, and they sang songs, and they worshiped, and they had speakers, and great experience for the young people. But what happened was, after a while, some of those folks in that, in that facility said, you know what? These guys are too noisy. They, they get too, too excited. That's not the kind of church we're used to. So the, the director said to the youth person, said, well, you know, I don't, uh, you're, you're just going to have to stop coming. So they, had got, they were doing it regularly for almost six months, and they were really enjoying it. So uh, in, in our staff meeting, said, we're going to have to find another place for them. So my wife, in her zeal, she called every one of the facilities in town. And you know what happened? She got, people started calling and said, yeah, why don't you come on by? Yeah, why don't you come on by? Pretty soon we had nine of them. And, and she just kept telling the youth director, well, you've already got one more. Here's another one. And then here's another one. And here's another one. And pretty soon now we're, 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 we're operating in, this, in these areas. We didn't intend to get there. But you know what happened last year? We had a fellow that got the number one chart. He was the song, gospel song writer of the year. He was almost 66 years old, Gary. And Gary, amen, he experienced something in one of those meetings. And he was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And Gary was baptized in Jesus' name. The gospel songwriter of the year, amen, literally he experienced the gospel for himself. And continuing on, some of those kids now are literally preaching the gospel. It started out in, in nursing facilities with some young kid behind a pulpit. But God was blessing their work and their labor. And now we're in all sorts of places. And God has opened all kinds of doors of witness and evangelism and all kinds of things that have taken place. All because somebody was willing to work. Now, I say all this, and I've I've been at length this morning. Jacob developed a love for Rachel. And the Scripture is full of people who, when they really got a burden, God anointed that burden and blessed them. Philip's revival in Samaria started when he was waiting on tables for widows. Noah saved his family. But it started a hundred years of faithful service, laboring year after year, pitching in, pitching out. And finally, that great tub rose in the middle of a flood. Paul's church in Ephesus started when Paul preaching just interrupted their lives so much they wanted to kill Paul. And they put Paul in a basket and lowered him over a wall. Sometimes it's amazing that how God gets you in full of, 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 of a love for, for your Rachel. People can see simple things that, that simply are, are uh, in their lives. You see children that you babysit for. God wants you to see them brought into the church. God wants to see them filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, sometimes you say, well, uh, I, I don't know what, what, what my Rachel is. But listen, if you'll just, you'll just simply do what God wants you to do. God will open doors. I, I conclude with this story. It's the story of, of a statue in Rome. A woman is there, and she's missing her right hand. Her right hand is cut off. It's a statue. It's a beautiful lady. And the story is told. The statue is of a woman, of an evil king, a Muslim king named Saladin, who said to a man that, uh, uh, who he was going to kill, he said, the man said to him, please, sir, don't kill me. I have a wife at home. He said, you have a wife? She really wants to see you alive? And this evil king said to the man, she, and the man responded, yes. And she said, would she give her right hand 
to see you alive? And the man gulped and said, yes, and he sent word. If you ever want to see your husband alive, give your right hand for him. And so there's a statue of her in Rome, and you can see it for yourself. The story of someone who, because of love, was willing to say, it's worth it. What are you willing to give to see a Rachel come to pass? Are you willing to invest yourselves? It might take you a Monday night or a Thursday night. It might take you taking a class at the local church. It might take you of investing your own money and sweat and equity to see something happen for God. But I tell you, that love told Jacob it was worth it. And love needs to tell you and I in this day and age, it's worth it to be a soul winner. Would you stand to your feet? Before Jacob met his Rachel, he was in a hopeless situation. But Rachel brought hope. You see, some people have got a crumb mentality and say, Lord, just give me the crumb. But God not only wants to give you the crumb, He wants to give you the whole loaf. He wants to give you exceedingly abundantly. Now, I know you've got seven minutes before the, you go home to your fried chicken. I want you to come out of your pew and come on, stand down on this altar. Would you come out? I'm on everybody. I want some people from the back row to make their way front. Come on, I want you to come right down front. Thank you. You have been so attentive this morning. I really appreciate that. But God has spoken to some of your hearts. Now I want you to just close your eyes as you're standing there. And there's a work of the Holy Ghost that's going to go on in the next moment. You just need to be sensitive to what God is going to do in your life right now. I'm not going to say to you, yearn for Rachel, just because I, I think it's a nice little topic in the Scriptures. But I'm going to say to you that if you'll open up your heart right now, God will birth something in you. Don't get in a hurry. I want you to open your spirit up to the Holy Ghost. I want you to open up to what God would have you to do. Yes, there's things for you to do right where you're at. Rachel was her name. She worked at the local restaurant. Rachel sat people. Two weeks ago, Brother Robertson, a man from my church came into the restaurant. He was telling Rachel about the Holy Ghost. She could have the Holy Ghost for her life. Rachel so hungry right in the restaurant she said really is the Holy Ghost for me and this man was bold he said yeah she said will God give me the Holy Ghost right now he said yeah God will give you the Holy Ghost right now his family had already gone out to the car he was paying the bill so Rachel let's pray right here So right in that restaurant, they began to pray. And then all of a sudden, he saw her lip begin to tremble. And Rachel, who had never spoken tongue in all of her life, began to speak in tongues as the Spirit of God gave her utterance. Bob came to the altar about a week and a half ago. He had a broken arm. He came for prayer. He was messed. I said, Bob, 72 years old. You praying for your arm? Does it hurt? You praying for pain? Yeah, I got pain. I looked down at Bob, and Bob's hands were trembling. 
God speaking something to you, you need to listen. I said, Bob, you feel something? Yeah. Bob, do you want the Holy Ghost? That's why I watered all my life, 72 years old. It was a Wednesday night. Everybody else had checked in, punched the time clock, and were ready for me to finish the Bible study. But Bob said, I'd like to have the Holy Ghost. We laid hands on Bob, and Bob began to speak in a language that he never learned before. I'm telling you right now is there is a Rachel. Some of you need to yearn for children. Some of you need to yearn for your son or your daughter. Some of you need to pour yourself out in an altar and ask God for your wife or your husband. Some of you need to ask God. You say, well, I'm... I'm uh, my life is so changing. The season is so different. My children are gone. I'm I'm empty nester. Well, God's brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this. You can sit where you're at and not get one thing, but be selfish in what you get from God. Or you can open up your spirit and let God birth something inside of you. Let God give you a burden for something that will change somebody's world. Rachel would become the wife of Jacob. Eventually, children would come. One of those children, many generations later, was the Messiah, Jesus Christ. I share with you, when you are willing to give, there is no telling what God will do with you. You might have messed your life up royally up to this point. But God's in the business of making something beautiful out of messes. Close your eyes, now lift your hands. And I'm going to release the Spirit of God into your life. And when that happens, would you speak to Jesus out loud? Right now, by the authority of the Holy Ghost... And the authority of His spoken word, I release into this congregation a word of faith and burden. Lift up your voice, child of God. Let God begin to talk to you. Thank you, Jesus. Just lift up your voices. Continue to lift them up. Let something happen. Let the gifts of faith be imparted here this morning such a degree that we have never, ever, ever been before. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Thank you.